Hello and welcome to episode number 131 of The Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi, and I'm joined by Tony Pauline, as always. And Tony, the 2020 NFL Draft is officially over. As there are every year, there are lots of non-player storylines from Roger Goodell's basement posture to Bill Belichick ghosting the uh, in-home camera shots. And before we get into the meat and potatoes of the draft, which is obviously the teams and the players, what did you think of the whole virtual format, Tony? Well, I'm glad it, it came off without a hitch, and I didn't think it was. I thought there may be a few hiccups, but you know, there were people who were so concerned that there may be some sort of meltdown. I didn't think it was going to happen, and it didn't. To be honest with you, really for the three days, I had my back to the TV screen. I had it on. I had the volume low, but we were doing the, uh, the live, draw, uh, live draft day blog at Pro Football Network, with which I hope people were able to take advantage of. So, you know, I, I, I was getting the picks before they were announced. So I was basically on the computer. Every once in a while, I'd turn around. I'd see the, uh, see the coverage. I'd either find something interesting or I'd shake my head and turn back around. I was surprised, and I didn't know until draft night, that ESPN and uh, NFL Network we're combining their coverage because I usually, if it's on TV and, and I can, and I'm watching it, I, I prefer to watch the NFL network. So watching that combination kind of uh, hit me by surprise at the beginning. Uh, I thought that was pretty fascinating, but overall you've got to applaud them. I, I mean, first time out, I didn't think there were going to be any major meltdowns. There weren't, I thought that alone was a major victory. Yeah, no, I, I thought it went pretty smoothly. Um, you know, Roger Goodell looked probably the most human that he's looked in in a very long time to kind of your your average fan. And yeah, the, seeing Daniel Jeremiah on ESPN, I was not expecting the whole, as you said, like the NFL Network ESPN combo. Um, but, you know, I, I thought it, as you said, went off without a hitch and really is, is all the league could have really hoped for. And for what we hope for, for our listeners here over our next few podcasts, not this show, we are going to go division to by division, just like we did last year. And we'll break down every team's hall of draft picks and undrafted free agents. Last year, we did two shows on each division, two teams per show, very comprehensive breakdowns. So keep an eye out for those coming in the next few weeks. But today, we're going to touch on the biggest surprises of the draft, along with players at every position who went earlier or later than expected. And kind of to start off with some surprises here, Tony, my biggest one was really some of these quarterback landing spots. And Joe Burrow going to Cincinnati, not surprising. Tua Tagovailoa to Miami, Justin Herbert to the LA Chargers, not surprising. But Jordan Love to Green Bay, Jalen Hurts to Philadelphia. I mean, I don't think anybody expected those teams to do what they did to procure quarterbacks in the draft. Obviously, people are going to naturally compare the Love pick to the Aaron Rodgers pick. But in 2005, when Aaron Rodgers fell to the Packers in the 20s, Brett Favre was constantly hinting at retirement. Aaron Rodgers hasn't been doing that. Uh, they didn't trade up for that pick like they traded up for Jordan Love here as well. So it's, it's really not the same, even though people are naturally going to compare it. Um, obviously, Philly extends Carson Wentz in June. Ten months later, they draft the quarterback in round two. And I get that backup quarterbacks are important in today's NFL. They get paid a lot. They're worth a lot. They can be very important to teams. Obviously, Nick Foles in Philadelphia a couple of years ago being the prime example. But round two, I mean, both of these teams needed weapons around their quarterbacks, not more quarterbacks. Tony, tell me I'm crazy here. Well, I think you're crazy for a couple of reasons. You know, number one, you can, you can complain, you know, you could ban, it would discuss or debate the, those selections. Green Bay eventually has to look at life after Aaron Rodgers. And I think that's what they were doing in Jordan Love. And they traded up for him. 
Jordan Love's not going to have to play next year. And I think it's a perfect situation for Jordan Love. So I understand why Green Bay made that pick. Granted, everybody wants the here and now and wanted Green Bay to take an offensive lineman, uh, to, to take a, a defensive lineman, or primarily take a wide receiver. I got no problems with the uh, Jordan Love pick, just like I had no problems with the Jalen Hurts pick. Uh, everyone's look, reading into this that the, you know, it's the end game for Carson Wentz. That's a load of bull. I mean, Carson Wentz, as talented as he is, has never been able to finish a season. And like you said, Backup quarterbacks are important. When you look at the entirety of Philadelphia's draft, and we'll get to that later on, they filled their needs with, with players that they wanted. I think getting uh, Jalen Hurts, I had him as a third round. I gave him a third round grade. He went late second round. The Philadelphia organization and Doug Peterson has done a great job uh, developing quarterbacks throughout their history. So one of three things is going to happen. Carson Wentz is going to consistently get injured, and Jalen Hurts is going to fill in for him. Jalen Hurts will barely see the field or Philadelphia can eventually trade Jalen Hurts and get more in return than what they, uh, what they used on him, a late round pick. So I, I understand it, especially when you look at the totality of uh, Philadelphia's draft, my biggest shockers, I, I had said in the days leading up to the draft, I thought that there could be a larger number than expected cornerbacks that slide into the late part of round one. That's exactly what happened, but I would have never expected the quarterbacks who went in round one, uh, to go there. Damon Arnett, what was it, the 19th pick to the Raiders. Uh, Noah Igbohonin uh, going where he went. Uh, Jeff Gladney of TCU going where he went. And we'll get into this a little bit deeper. I was not surprised that that many quarterbacks went in the bottom half of round one. I was surprised by the names. I was surprised, and we'll get into this more uh, when we break down the positions, the drop and the fall of Ezra Cleveland, as well as Denzel Mims. Absolutely. And, you know, as Tony said, we'll touch on on those things a little bit later. Um, I do agree with you, Tony, on the Jordan Love thing. It is a great spot for him. I just look at it as, unless Aaron Rodgers has one year left, say he plays another two, three years at a relatively high level. Yes, his play has kind of been you know, declining a little bit from where he was at his absolute peak. But if you take over half of Jordan Love's rookie contract and you use it as a backup, then you're setting yourself up to sign him to a big money deal off of maybe one season, uh, maybe two seasons if you exercise that fifth-year option or if he gets on the field a little bit sooner. So what you're doing is you're de developing a quarterback on a first-round contract, and then you're paying that quarterback. Afterwards, you're losing the opportunity to kind of have a guy on a rookie deal where you can build around him and really kind of stack up your team. So that was kind of my main question around the Packers thing um, with Jalen Hurts. It's if they use him like the Saints use Taysom Hill and, you know, he scores a couple touchdowns and maybe he starts a couple games a season if Carson Wentz is out, then you can absolutely see value in that pick. It's just kind of strange when you extend your starting quarterback. And he played, you know, 16 games during the regular season last year. I know he had the concussion uh, later on. But, you know, you look at – obviously he does have an injury history there, but you extended him. You showed confidence in the fact that that won't be an issue moving forward. And then you draft a quarterback – in round two, granted, you can use them in some other ways, but it was just kind of an interesting juxtaposition there. Again, you got to look at it in the totality in the totality of the draft. I thought that the Eagles, basically, and we'll get into this deeper when we do the breakdowns by division, did a good job getting what they wanted. Jalen Hurts, as far as I'm concerned, is just an added bonus. My issue is not, with the Packers is not taking Jordan Love. It's that they didn't come out of the draft with the needed receiver. Now, Tony, real quick before we get into the specific players, which we've kind of already done a little bit here, let's go over the teams that we thought did the best job in the draft. Let's start with you. Whose draft did you like the most? 
I think when you factor in the trade for DeForest Buckner, I love what the Colts did. I said a number of times, Chris Ballard is one of the brightest uh, young GMs in the league. is one of my favorites. I think it showed the uh, past three days. I thought the Bengals did a real good job with their selections. I also like what the uh, Lions did a lot. Bengals and Lions drafting at the top of each round, so they had an advantage. But I thought the Colts overall, as far as I'm concerned, had the best draft. Yeah, I mean, those teams did very well. I mean, the Colts getting Jonathan Taylor and, and Michael Pittman, in addition to DeForest Buckner, that's a great kind of top three for their draft picks in terms of capital they used. I really liked what the Cowboys did. Um, obviously, CeeDee Lamb falling to the 17th pick in round one was a little bit surprising. I mean, that receiver group around Dak Prescott is now absolutely stacked. They got Trayvon Diggs in the second round late second round pick, which is good too. And they got a guy I really like, Neville Gallimore. In the third round, they added Bradley and they late. So I thought the Cowboys did really well. Um, you mentioned Jeff Gladney before to the Vikings. I actually like what the Vikings did. I mean, they got Ezra Cleveland, as we mentioned, way later than expected. Cameron Dantzler, I know he ran slow at the combine, but he doesn't really play to that speed. Got him in the third round, which was nice. Justin Jefferson is an excellent player that they got with the Stephon Diggs pick to kind of fill that same role. So I thought the Vikings did well. And I also like what the New York Jets did. I might have taken Tristan Wirfs over Mekhi Becton, but they traded back in the second round. They still got the guy in Denzel Mims that, you know, they were maybe targeting at number 48. We'll never know for sure, but they ended up getting two free picks out of that. They used it on a backup quarterback and some offensive line reinforcement. So I really like how the Jets kind of gamed the draft, and it was a little surprising to me there as well. Now we'll get to our biggest positional surprises in just a moment after this word from our sponsor. The NFL Draft has come and gone. But for sports fans stuck at home with no live sports to watch, all is not lost. While you're waiting this out at home with us, you can still have fun betting at betonline.ag. Even without the NBA, NHL, and MLB, BetOnline still has hundreds of places to wager, including their online casino with poker and blackjack. And sports aren't totally done, loosely defined, of course. There's still eSports, American Idol, Big Brother, the elections, the spelling bee, and Bet Online's new $750,000 poker series. Yes, Chris, there is still fun to be had. So go to betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100 to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. Again, that's betonline.ag and use our promo code MYPOD100, M Y P O D 100, BetOnline your online wagering experts. And Tony, now it's time to break down who went earlier than expected and who fell farther than we thought possible in the past three days in this year's NFL draft. We'll go position by position here, starting, of course, with the quarterbacks. Jalen Hurts was my number five quarterback. We talked about him a lot you know, on the preview shows and also earlier in this episode. But I didn't expect him to be a round two pick like you, Tony, had a round three grade on him. So I thought that might have been a little higher than we expected. Obviously, the team was a surprise as well. Jake Fromm, a guy that we weren't particularly big fans of, but still kind of a surprise to see him go late in round five. I mean, this is a guy that many thought after his freshman season was the next big thing at quarterback. Obviously, his problem was he was just physically maxed out by then, which you don't see much at players who are 19 or 18 years old. He never really got any better. Obviously, his limited physical skills really hurt his draft stock, and ultimately, so did his poor showing at the combine. I was not surprised, really, except for the fact that Tommy Stevens was actually drafted. Now, I don't know if they're going to use him as a quarterback or maybe uh, try to transition him to tight end. We'll have to wait and see. He's a big-bodied athlete with a strong arm. 
but his passes are all over the place. Uh, I was more than gratified to see Ben DiNucci uh, be selected in the draft. In fact, I uh, shot a text off to a buddy last night, and we kind of laughed that Ben DiNucci was selected before Nate Stanley. Uh, not surprised at all that Jake Fromm was selected where he was. I had a fourth, fifth round grade for him. Even late fifth round wasn't shocking to me. Uh, again, was very gratified to see that James Morgan where, uh, was selected where he was. We said on this podcast that he was going to be an early day three pick, which he pretty much was. We had said that the New York Jets, if you listen to our podcast and our interview with James, I hope you got to uh, uh, re-listen to that, that the Jets were very interested to him. And sure enough, that's the team that took him uh, in round four. Uh, mildly surprised with Jacob Eason falling into the third day. I had a second, third round grade on him. Jacob Eason, as you probably heard Chris Mortensen say yesterday, just is not everybody's flavor. And the fact is this, he's not played a lot of football the past three years. And despite all his wonderful physical skills, he's a guy that's going to need a lot of development in the next game. Steven Montez, not even getting a sniff. I think I was slightly surprised at that, especially when guys like Cole McDonald, Nate Stanley, uh, our favorite Ben DiNucci and even Tommy Stevens was taken off the board. The fact that Montez did not get a sniff in the draft was a little bit surprising to me. Yeah. I mean, Tommy Stevens as a, as a quarterback prospect compared to Steven Montez. I mean, you look at what Tommy Stevens has and what Steven Montez has, and they're both inconsistent. They both have some issues there, but Montez has a similar physical package and he was way more productive. Did it all at one school. Didn't have to transfer. So it's definitely interesting to see a guy like Tommy Stevens, especially over Montez. You know, going to uh, Stevens, started his, uh, played for years at uh, Penn State, goes to a former Penn State head coach. I don't know if that's the connection there. But again, let's see if he stays at uh, quarterback or there was talk at the Shrine game where he played, eventually moving him to tight end. Now, at running back, we'll move on here. And for me, it was very surprising to see Cam Akers go ahead of J.K. Dobbins. I did have Akers somewhat close to the consensus top four backs at number five, but I really can't get behind drafting him over Dobbins. He might be slightly more athletic than J.K. Dobbins, but Dobbins is pretty much better or equal in every other part of his game. So that was a definite surprise to me. A.J. Dillon, another surprise out of Green Bay. Uh, the quotes out of Green Bay actually seem to be that they're more confident in him as a receiver than a lot of people may be based on you know his tape and his college numbers. They obviously better be if they're going to take a running back in round two. He's going to have to affect the passing game at some point. As an overall point though I was a bit surprised how few running backs were taken total in the draft there were only 17 running backs taken and that includes Antonio Gibson who really isn't even a true running back prospect yeah I, I was that was uh, kind of strange to see uh, Antonio Gibson although we said you know he really doesn't have a defined uh, NFL position great at receiver at Memphis but's got a running back body I was surprised that Clyde Edwards Hilaire was the first back selected over DeAndre Swift in our podcast the night before the draft, I said that Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was moving up draft boards and was listed on a number of teams' boards as the second highest back in the draft. Would have never expected him to be the highest back in the draft. Um, I was very happy to see Jason Huntley get selected. Huntley is a guy who I did a report on a Pro Football Network. I talked about what a great pro day he had. The fact that he fit into the late rounds of the draft um, – I was pretty satisfied with that. I was glad to see that. I was surprised that DJ – you mentioned the number of backs that weren't selected. I was surprised that DJ Dallas was, in fact, selected in a draft over many of those backs, whether it be James Robinson of Illinois State, whether it be Siwo Olonilo of TCU, Jamichael Hasty of Baylor. 
Dallas has had injury issues. He's more of a straight line downhill runner. He's got decent size. He's got average speed. There was just nothing special. And I thought there were better backs on the board um, uh, that were th- th- than DJ, DJ Dallas. I was also very happy, I got to say, to see Anthony McFarland be selected in the fourth round by the Pittsburgh Steelers, where I think he's going to do a great job. If you followed me last week at Pro Football Network, I refuted an article that was put out there that said Anthony McFarland's football character was characterized as horrendous. I got in touch with his running backs coach at Maryland who had nothing but glowing things to say uh, about the McFarland, the player, the person, a guy who showed up to practice. So I was, I was happy to see that because I think what that did is it just lent credibility to my article that the allegations of McFarland's football character were absolutely false. Absolutely. And move on here and look at some of the pass catchers. For me, Henry Ruggs as the first receiver in the draft was a surprise. The ghost of Al Davis does still live on, even with the Raiders now in Las Vegas. The fall of Denzel Mims, as Tony mentioned, was also interesting after really an awesome pre-draft process in a year where fewer players had opportunities to have awesome processes because it was cut so short. I get that his film was inconsistent at times, but so is Chase Claypool's. And Claypool went 10 picks sooner. Van Jefferson is a guy who went a bit higher than expected. He's a good player, a very solid receiver, but over Denzel Mims and 24 picks before Brian Edwards was a bit early for me. I was also a bit surprised that Donovan Peoples-Jones fell all the way out of the top 175 picks. I had him in that 75 to 100 range. Maybe I was a little higher on him than most, but I never would have thought that he was going to be pushing pick 200. His traits and the pedigree that he's had, I thought were worth a flyer a bit earlier from that. It's not like he had terrible film either. Tony, what surprised you at the receiver position? First, let me say, as a group, most of the receivers I expected to get drafted actually were selected at some point in the, in the, uh, in the process, in the seven rounds. Some of the guys I had as late rounders, Kalijah Lipscomb of, of Vanderbilt, Courtney Davis of Texas A&M, Jamarcus Bradley of uh, Louisiana were on the outside looking in once the, uh, everything was shut down. But I, I think most, just about all of the receivers I expected to be selected were. I agree with you about Henry Ruggs. But again, on Wednesday at Pro Football Network, I had said, I wrote out that if John Gruden got his way, Henry Ruggs was going to be the selection uh, for the Raiders at number 12. That's exactly the way it played out. Uh, And I agree with you. I mean, as I said a couple times, it's going to be a lot of bumps in the road for Henry Ruggs. He goes from being the number four, sometimes number three receiver at Alabama to a guy who's going to be relied on as the number one, uh, number two potential number one at Oakland, uh, Oakland at Las Vegas, it's going to be a huge learning curve. I had heard, uh, really in the day leading up to the first round, that Jalen Rager was going to be a first round pick. Foolishly, I chose not to believe it. He was, uh, in fact, the first round pick to the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, I was told that when San Francisco was on the board, the debate was between Brandon Ayuk and Michael Pittman. They took, they took Ayuk before Pittman, although I had Pittman uh, rated much higher. I agree with what you said about Van Jefferson, but if you remember what I had reported and what we spoke about on this podcast, people love Van Jefferson off of his three days of practice at the Senior Bowl, and they thought if he ran well before the draft, he could move into the second round. He did move into the second round, even though he never ran before the draft. He didn't run at the Combine. Florida never had a pro day, and the L.A. Rams rolled the dice on him anyway. Denzel Mims going as late as he do, did, absolutely shocked to me. I, when he fell out of the first round, I was hearing uh, late uh, on day one of the draft, when I say late, right before the draft, that he could fall out. And I had said in an article that if he got past 
uh, selection 26, he could fall out of the first round. Never expected him to go late second round, especially when people were telling me that he was the complete package at receiver. I think the situation is he's got to prove or he never proved he was the complete package at Baylor. I think the Jets got, got a major steal here, as did the Buffalo Bills in Gabe Davis in round four. I thought he was a- absolutely a second-day pick. I know he's not the fastest guy in the world, but Gabe Davis is a, is a tremendous game-controlling receiver, and Buffalo got a steal there. Tyler Johnson going around five. Again, if you listen to our podcast the night before the draft, I had said that teams were looking at him as a fifth, sixth pick. You know, now he goes to Tampa Bay. Obviously, the pressure is going to be off with so many pass catches that Tampa Bay has, but I, I think that was an excellent addition. Colin Johnson going fifth round was uh, – I don't want to – it was sort of a surprise. That's the Big 12, big uh, big receiver uh, – what, what's the word I'm looking for? Help me out here. You're, you're, the, uh, you're, you're the editor. <laughs> bias is the word. Uh, there you go. Well, there you go. bias or lack of results, uh, we could also say, with Alan Lazard and the rest. Uh, overall, except for Gabe Davis and except for Denzel Mims, there were no receivers that coming off the board way too early or way too late. That really surprised me. Now the other pass catchers at tight end, this was an interesting draft as we had discussed for the tight end position. We knew that it was very likely there were not going to be any first round picks and overall the class was relatively weak, but just how weak was it? I mean, only Cole Komet went in the top 90, which was definitely a surprise. Devin Asiasi wasn't necessarily overdrafted, but seeing him as the second tight end off the board to New England was a surprise. Three picks later, Josiah DeGara, yet another Packers pick. That kind of raised some eyebrows. Uh, the Patriots took another tight end, Dalton Keene, just 10 picks after Asiasi, kind of a more athletic, eventual compliment. Obviously, one year way back in the day when they chose Rob Gronkowski and Aaron Hernandez in the draft, uh, they made out pretty well with that. Not sure they get the same result this time around, though. And for me, a definite surprise was no Hunter Bryant at all. Um, like I said before with Denzel Mims, Tape a bit inconsistent at times with Hunter Bryant, but the flashes he showed were truly excellent. Tony, you had both Bryant and Thaddeus Moss rated as fifth rounders. Neither ended up drafted. Were those surprises to you? And what else might have defied your expectations at tight end? Thaddeus Moss wasn't uh, because I was hearing in the days leading up that uh, the injury, which basically sidelined him after the, uh, in the pre-draft process, is pretty significant. And there was a chance he couldn't get drafted. I chose to say somebody's going to draft this guy off the skill that he showed last year and roll the dice. Obviously, they didn't. Hunter Bryant was, I I mean, I liked him as a pass catcher, but the fact is this, there was a large variety of opinions about him in the scouting community. A guy who was 248 pounds, only ran in the four sevens. It's not like he was running in the four sixes. Uh, And people really didn't know what to do with him. I mean, he's kind of a slower move tight end and that's just not a good combination. I was surprised that the Patriots took a, C, a size C over Adam Troutman. I thought Adam Troutman would have been the Gronkowski type of tight end to Dalton Keene, who could have been more of the Hernandez. I was very shocked that Josiah DeGura went as early as he did. I'm glad. It's a great story. He's someone that we spoke about last summer. But again, I, I mean, some teams had him at fullback. Some teams had him at H-back. He's a solid player. I just don't think he was third round value. Now moving on to the last offensive positions here on the line, we'll start with the offensive tackles. As I kind of alluded to before, I was a bit surprised Tristan Wurst was the fourth offensive tackle off the board. He was my number two tackle and Tony's number one tackle. I know Austin Jackson surprised many, but not us. And if you listen to our show, you weren't surprised either to see him go. 
at 18 to Miami. Really a tackle, though. Not a ton of overall surprises. Obviously, Ezra Cleveland falling to pick 58 was definitely one of those. Prince Tego Winogu falling outside the top 200 is another. Tony, did the tackle spot go almost as expected in your eyes, or were there some more surprises than, than I'm talking about here? I was surprised that worse was the fourth of the big-name tackles to fall. I, I, I think the way the draft fell with uh, the Cowboys passing up on Chazon, which uh, allowed Chazon to fall into the Jaguars' laps, which is part of the reason why Ezra Cleveland fell as far as he did. Uh, things like that happen. It's not that he's a bad player. Things like that happen. I said on draft day that Minnesota liked him. Minnesota was considering him in the first round. Minnesota gets him in the second round. So that's great value for them. Uh, Prince Tego Wanago, I think it was just an injury situation. Uh, when you look at him from a playing point of view, he's a second, third round pick, but he was dropping like a rock uh, because of the injury issue. We had mentioned that there was a chance Trey Adams of Washington wasn't going to get drafted. He didn't uh, because of the injuries and, and everything else. Colton McKivitt's going, what, round five? I think we had that pegged. Uh, I, I think most of the tackles, except for Ezra Cleveland, went where I had had them rated. There were a few blips here and there. Terrence Steele not getting selected is a bit of a surprise. Great athlete, not a good football player. I thought someone would have taken a flyer on Yasir Durant, although I heard there were uh, off-the-field issues, character issues. But really, only one, two, three tackles who I had as uh, graded as draftable um, were not selected. I was surprised that Blake Bland, uh, Brandell was selected, what, in the, in the sixth round? Uh, Blandell's a guy that I watched as a uh, redshirt freshman at Oregon State. And at that point in time, I graded him as a potential prospect, but he just never showed any real improvement in his game, never showed any progress. And he's not the greatest athlete. He's fundamentally sound. It'll be interesting to see uh, where he ends up. I'm sure he's going to be pushed into guard. Uh, interesting story on the guy that I don't think anybody expected to be selected. Absolutely. And kind of the same thing goes for the interior offensive line here. Offensive line as a whole just kind of seemed pretty standard in terms of guys being drafted where they were expected to go. Um, you know, my, most people might be surprised that Tyler Biedish went with the last pick in round four. Listeners on our show wouldn't be that surprised. We've been kind of talking about how he was dropping like a rock on team boards around the league. Cesar Ruiz in round one. Some people might be surprised. Again, not listeners of our show. We've been talking about Cesar Ruiz for what feels like months now since pretty much the middle of the college football season, if even earlier. Um, I was a little surprised overall at kind of just how late some of the centers went. Tony, for example, you had six ranked in your top 130. Only four went in the top 150. And Biadish went, I think, 149 right at the back end of that range. Did that surprise you? And what else might have caught your eye interiorly? I was surprised that Robert Hunt, who played tackle, right tackle, Louisiana, may play tackle at the next level, was projected by guard uh, at the next level. A number of people went as early as he did in uh, round two. That was, that was a bit surprising to me. Otherwise, I, I mean, Keith Ishmael fell much later than I thought. Nick Harris, I can't say he fell because he was all overboards. Uh, where teams had him. He was listed as early as the third round to as late as the sixth round. Uh, Dustin Woodard of Memphis, the center guard, the fact that he got selected, I think I was mildly surprised in that. I did do a report on him at Pro Football Network and said that he was getting some uh, 
some late momentum and a lot of talk about him. But the fact is, is Woodard was not even graded by scouts coming into the year. But overall, no real shockers at the center or guard position. The defensive side of the ball is coming up next on the show after this quick break. If you love scratchers from the Virginia Lottery, you'll really love the new Lucky Number Scratcher. 32 chances to win $500,000 plus four bonus games. Stop by your closest retailer and check it out. For odds and more information, visit VALottery.com. And we're back and ready to look at defensive ends who were drafted earlier or later than expected. And we have to start with A.J. Epinesa. Yes, the combine hurt him, but going into Indy, he was essentially a locked first-round pick. Falls into the back third of round two. Really a great job by Buffalo scooping value here at a position of need. I was actually on WGN in Buffalo a couple of weeks ago, and they asked me about second-round edge rushers that could be fits. I didn't even mention Epineza because him being available wasn't even on my mind, so some great value there for the Bills. Uh, Darrell Taylor out of Tennessee, announced as a defensive end to Seattle. Surprise to many at that spot, but as we've discussed before, he did have some first-round grades coming into the season, obviously an injury-plagued senior year. So pick 48, even though people weren't expecting it, isn't as crazy as it may seem if it's not a bit risky. Uh, Bradley and A's fall was pretty surprising, even though he's not the level of athlete you prefer as a sub-260 pounds edge rusher. He still wins enough with technical skills and, and hand moves that I thought he'd go at least a little bit higher than the final pick in round five. Any big surprises for you at DN, Tony? Well, obviously, Epinesa was. And we had mentioned uh, on here when we did our first uh, breakdown, position breakdown of the defense, that I was getting some second-round grades on Iowa. I didn't think it was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to be a late second-round grade. Epinesa, who plays with a chip on his shoulder, <laughs> goes to Buffalo, who needs young defensive ends, and that chip just got bigger. Bradley and Nay. I was somewhat shocked or somewhat surprised he went uh, as late as he did. When I asked around, someone said, well, it's probably speed and something else that rhymes with speed, but I'm not going to say here because I'll get in trouble, which is what led to uh, Ine's fall. Uh, Jason Stobridge uh, going in the fifth round to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, Jason Stobridge was a terrific player at North Carolina. Chris and I watched him at the – senior ball, and he just showed amazing athleticism. I mean, off-the-board type of athleticism. But the fact is, is he has kind of in-between defensive tackle and defensive end speed. Where do you play him? Does he have a true defined uh, position at the next level? Regardless, I think the Dolphins got a steal in round five. I was glad to see Mike uh, Dana get selected uh, in the fifth round because he had a great week of practice at the Shrine game, which I think put him over the top, was not invited to the Combine. Uh, and he's a guy who's a very athletic pass rusher. You mentioned Daryl Taylor. Listen, Seattle makes a lot of head-scratching picks, but they make picks that are good for Seattle. They, pick, they select players that are good for their system, and, and I think T- Taylor's one of them, an undersized edge rusher, and Taylor is very athletic. He's very explosive. He was injured last year, and he's very streaky and inconsistent with his, uh, with his production, so we will see what happens. I was glad to see Derek Tuzga of North Dakota State getting to the late rounds, uh, or the last round, I should say. In fact, he was the second to last pick of the draft. Uh, he's a guy who plays with great intensity, adds some pass rush, maybe stands up over tackle, comes out of a three-point stance on occasion, and I think uh, that, that's a pick that can pan out. Now, Tony uh, mentioned Jason Strobridge with the defensive ends. He was announced as a defensive end. He was before the draft on our boards as a defensive tackle, and yeah, him falling out of the top 50 
really was a surprise. If you look at a guy like McTelvin Ajem, another guy who was at the Senior Bowl, didn't get the same level of accolades as Strobridge at the Senior Bowl, didn't play as well, frankly, at the Senior Bowl, yet he went in the top 100 to Denver and Strobridge falls all the way out of the top 150. Personally, I would have expected those two to kind of flip-flop in terms of what their draft values may have been. Um, you know, I do like McTelvin Ajem as a, as a day three kind of three technique. Obviously, he didn't quite go on day three. Late day two is, is just fine in that sense, too. But really thought as far as archetype of players go, him and Strobridge were very similar. To, so to see that kind of difference between them in terms of where they were drafted was definitely surprising to me. Other than that, not a lot on the defensive tackle side of things that was really too out of line. Tony, what do you think? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I think they pretty much came off the board as expected. And even as I had them rated, James Lynch of Baylor went a little bit lower than people expected. But the fact is, Lynch is a lot like Strobridge. Is he a defensive end? Is he a defensive tackle? Is he a two-gap end? What do you do with him? He's a terrific pass rusher. Good football player. Not the greatest athlete. Didn't really work out all that well at the uh, Combine. But uh, you're just going to have to uh, find a place for him. I agree with you about Ajum. I mean, Ajum is... A, an explosive three technique type, but I just didn't see a lot of physicality in his game over the years. I didn't see a guy who consistently made plays, which is why I had him graded as a fourth rounder. Uh, I think Robert Windsor uh, is great value where he went uh, in the draft. Robert Windsor is a terrific football player. He's intense, six, four and a half, 290 pounds, ran a four, nine, one, the combine. I'm still trying to figure out why Robert Windsor, who showed up week in and week out the past two years, was not great as a top 100 pick. I had him as a fifth round based on what I was hearing. I think on the film, he definitely grades as a potential late second day pick. That was a major steal. Uh, really, uh, you know, I was glad to see Bravey and Roy uh, Baylor be selected. There were some teams that said, no, he, he was a priority free agent. Had a great week of practice at the Shrine game. You know, he's a big guy, six foot two, 328 pounds. Wasn't invited to the combine. Uh, relatively athletic guy who makes plays. What he's got to do is he's got to learn to bend his knees. He's got to learn to consistently play with leverage, which he, he didn't do at uh, at Baylor uh, on a down-and-down-up basis. If he's coached correctly, that is a seventh-round steal. Otherwise, I think Darian Daniels of Nebraska not being selected in a draft was surprising, especially since the Davis brothers uh, were both chosen. Benito Jones of Mississippi not being selected mildly surprising. I had him as a six round pick, but Benito Jones was somebody had he entered the 2019 draft teams were talking uh, about him as a potential uh, top 100 pick, a potential second day pick decides to go back for a senior year. Doesn't have the year that most people uh, expected or hoped falls out of the draft. Now Jordan Brooks is one linebacker who really surprised many going on Thursday night. Tony had mentioned some first round buzz around Brooks though. So again, not really that big of a shock to listeners of our show, even if we personally disagree with the valuation of him there. Really kind of like the last few positions we've discussed here, not a ton of weirdness at linebacker, at least in terms of the inside linebackers. A Shaq Quarterman went pretty high for a player of his size and athletic profile. Curtis Weaver, though, falling to round five, like Bradley and A, totally unexpected. His 2019 season didn't go exactly as planned. Tony's mentioned that he was a little bit overweight at times if you watch the film, but he still had 13 and a half sacks, was very productive, and what he showed earlier in his career was absolutely worthy of a day two pick. Tony, what gives here with Weaver, and what else might have surprised you at the linebacker spot? Well, you kind of, you kind of mentioned it, and uh, on, I believe it was Wednesday, 
Um, I had, uh, and we talked about it a little bit, the overrated, underrated column I did at NFL at, at uh, Pro Football Network. A day later, I was speaking with someone who told me that they thought Curtis Weaver was ridiculously overrated, and they wouldn't take anything other than a late-round flyer on him. I, I've, and that's what happened. Uh, and I think that's the situation. He was overweight. He looked sluggish last year. I had reported that he was expecting to come into the combine at 255 pounds. He came in at 265. I think people are just questioning his dedication off the field, which is not a good thing, which is why he fell. Uh, Zach Bourne falling into the third round. This is a situation where, and I do this every year, uh, rather than following my own instincts and basically grading guys on what I see on film, I kind of mesh what I'm what I'm seeing on film and what I feel about a guy compared to what other people are saying. I said all along, I never thought Zach Bond was a first round pick. I thought he was a guy who was sort of a space linebacker. We got to see, he's not an edge rusher at the next level. He wasn't, he was an okay edge rusher at Wisconsin. I thought he was misused in their outside linebacker in their three, four system. I think he's going to have to learn to play in space. When we saw him at the senior ball, he was awful in coverage drills, just absolutely awful. 238 pounds. A lot of it was water weight at the combine. So his actual playing weight is probably in the two thirties. That's why Zach Bond fell the way he did. He's just, he's a good athlete. He's not a great football player. Jordan Brooks, I would agree with you. Uh, it was a mild surprise in the first round, although, as we, as you said, our podcast the night before, we said he was getting first-round mention. But, again, it was a Seattle Seahawks type of pick. I think uh, the two guys who were not selected who surprised me were Joe Bocci and Francis Bernard. Bernard, who we spoke about multiple times on this podcast. I think with Bocci, it's uh, – I don't know what it was with Bocci. I'll find out about it. But the Saints signed him as, a, as an undrafted free agent. He's a guy, 6'1", 230, ran 4'6", 7 at the Combine. Scouts questioned his time. 4'6", 7 is an outstanding time. He's smart. He's tough. He makes plays with great instincts. Uh, I think it's a travesty that he fell out of the draft. Francis Bernard, it's a situation where – and I had, we had reported this up to the Combine – he wasn't expected to test all that well. He didn't. He ran in the four eights. Uh, I know that there were some injury issues. There were some issues about character, but Francis Bernard is a tremendous linebacker. His film is outstanding. I would have taken a late round flyer on him. Yeah, and I think a lot of it too with Bernard is he, we were very excited to watch him at the Senior Bowl and see him potentially kind of rise up boards. And instead, I feel like he did the opposite. Really didn't play that well. Wasn't great in coverage. Got caught on some blocks. Just didn't stand out at the senior bowl and for a guy who doesn't have the best size didn't work out particularly well as you said he really had to kind of step up a bit in mobile to help his draft stock he didn't do so and as a result surprisingly enough he did end up going undrafted one last guy i got to mention and i spoke about him yesterday at length during the uh, pro football network live draft blog the patriots taking uh cash malaya of wyoming in the late, late rounds. I, I, I was happy to see that because, number one, I think at Pro Football Network, we were the only people – or I was the only guy that had him graded and had a report on him. But when you watch Malaye play, he's a tremendous football player. He plays like his hair is on fire. He goes sideline to sideline. He gets the most from his ability, sells out to make plays and tackles. The problem is he's 5'11 and a half, 245 pounds. He's got limited speed. He plays in times in the 4.8s. But I think this is one of those picks that the Patriots make primarily for special teams and as a backup linebacker. I was, I was happy to see this guy get selected because I like him as a player, more so because I 
took the time out to grade them and give them a report. Absolutely. And we'll move on to the secondary here to wrap up the show. Now, Tony alluded to this earlier as we move on to the secondary here to wrap up the show. Damon Arnett really has to be the big surprise at the cornerback position, the number four cornerback taken behind the top two, Jeffrey Akuda and CJ Henderson, and also AJ Terrell, who went to the Falcons a couple picks earlier. Arnett was not in either of our top five cornerback rankings that we did a couple of episodes ago. And really, at least for me, I don't want to speak for Tony, but wasn't even in consideration when I was looking at the top five to seven corners in the draft, if we're being honest. So that was a definite surprise to see him ending up going on Thursday night. Um, didn't expect Michael Ojemudia out of Iowa to go 77th overall, and definitely didn't expect A.J. Green out of Oklahoma State to go completely undrafted. Obviously, neither did the Browns because they gave him a fat signing bonus as a UDFA to bring him to Cleveland. Your thoughts on the corners, Tony? Yeah, I agree with you about Damon Arnett. I think what happened with the Raiders is they really wanted A.J. Terrell. And when A.J. Terrell was taken off the board, what, three selections before them by the Atlanta Falcons, they got kind of tripped up. What I was told is one of the Raiders' defensive back coaches was Arnett's high school coach, and that's where the connection is. And connections are always important, and especially in this sort of draft where there were no pro day workouts, no individual workouts, no top 30 visits, those connections are more important. So the fact that his high school coach is now with the Raiders, I think, played a a large part in it. I was surprised that Gladney went in round one, especially compared to uh, what I was hearing in the lead-up to the draft. Reggie Robinson going in the fourth round. Reggie Robinson, as I said in an article, Pro Football Network, uh, he is considered by some people to be a guy who's going to eventually be the steal in this year's draft. A lot of people I spoke with said, in time, with proper coaching, Reggie Robinson will be one of the better cornerbacks in this year's draft. Six foot one, 205 pounds, very athletic and explosive, ran 4-4-4 at the combine, just needs more work, just needs more repetition, which is going to be a problem for all the rookies this year. Uh, with no rookie mini camp, with no, you know, with regular camp probably being pushed back and, uh, and reduced. Uh, I, I would agree with you. I was not only surprised that A.J. Green of Oklahoma didn't get selected. I was surprised Javaris Davis of Auburn didn't get selected. I was also surprised that uh, Trajan Bandy of uh, Miami of Florida didn't get, the, uh, didn't get late round consideration. I was rather gratified to see Chris Jackson of Marshall uh, get drafted. I did have a uh, undrafted uh, grade on him. I didn't even have him as a priority free agent. But the thing with Chris Jackson is if you go back and you look at his 2018 film, he really looks like a, a legitimate NFL prospect that deserved to be selected in the last day of the draft. I don't think he played all that well this year, but it's good to know that somebody probably went back and looked at his film from uh, 2018 and said, you know what, let's take a flyer on this guy. And that's exactly what happened in the seventh round. Now, moving over to the safety position, where Kyle Duger over Grant Delpit was somewhat surprising. Now, when Tony and I were putting together our safety rankings, I did almost put Duger ahead of Delpit. I had that thought in my mind. Ultimately, I didn't do so. A lot of that is because, you know, Grant Delpit played in the SEC and Kyle Duger played in Division Three, and that kind of broke the tie there for me. Um, I do think those two might have been closer than many thought at the position, but really besides that, not too much else really that surprising. Rarely is there a year where no safety goes in round one, but we knew that was possible and even likely this year. It was something we had discussed on prior shows as well. Tony, did anything on the back end of the defensive side of the ball here really surprise you? You know, I, I agree sentimentally with your thoughts about Grant Delpit versus Kyle Duger, but there was a chance that Delpit was going to slide in this draft, and that's exactly what happened. And I said – 
you know, at the time uh, I tweeted out that the Cleveland Browns got a steal a year ago when Greedy Williams from LSU fell in the second round. I think they got a bigger steal with Grant Delpit falling in the second round because I think it's a situation where people just unnecessarily picked holes in his game. There was questions about his speed, although he did run a, in the mid four fours during a private uh, private workout because he didn't run at the combine. LSU didn't have their pro day. But I think it was a heck of a pick for the Browns in round two. You know, I would agree with you. Um, I think J.R. Reed of Georgia going not going uh, at some point in the draft was a surprise to me. I had a fifth-round grade on him. There were questions about his speed. He ran in the, in the lower end of the four fives at the combine, which I thought was a bonus. Miles Dorn, who wasn't uh, uh, wasn't selected in the draft at all, was was a bit of a surprise. He's a physical freak. He's a guy who came into the season with high grades, uh, 6'1", 200 pounds, runs in the 4'4s. He just doesn't show up all the time. I thought at least in the late round somebody would have taken him. Miles Bryant of Washington, who we spoke about uh, as a guy who was moving up draft boards as far as um, and was even placed on a couple of cornerback boards, didn't get drafted. Rodney Clemens, one of my favorites, didn't get drafted. Uh, run a 4'8 in the combine, that's, or 4'7 in the combine. Uh, that's going to really hurt you. I was happy to see Jalen Hawkins, the uh, safety from Cal, get selected as early as he did, even though I put a free agent grade on him. What happens is with with your boards, you got to, you know, you could, I had, uh, I had, let me see, I had 22 safeties uh, who were graded with draftable grades. I mean, I probably could have put draftable grades on 38 safeties but in the end then you put draftable grades on 300 to 325 players and I, you want to try and keep it within reason uh of that 255 number which is the number of players that are going to be selected i would have loved to put a draftable grade on jalen hawkins i actually think and i've said a number of times that i think jalen hawkins is a better safety is a better defensive back than ashton davis who was taken by the Jets in the third round. It's just Ashton Davis is a superior athlete to Jalen Hawkins. Regardless, I'm glad Hawkins was taken uh, where he was. What was it? The fourth round. Uh, I think he's going to be a heck of a player. It's just going to be a situation where you can't ask him to do many things because he just doesn't have the speed or athleticism to do it. Now, Tony, before we wrap this up here, any kind of parting thoughts or or final shots on what you thought of draft weekend as a whole and, and just everything that went down over the past three days? It was a long, arduous weekend doing that live draft blog. I mean, it was almost five hours on uh, Thursday, four hours on Friday, and then another seven and a half hours yesterday. So I said to my wife, it's kind of funny, you know, I start in May. I'll start in two weeks to get ready for the 2021 draft. I love watching the film. It'll be 100 degrees and incredibly humid. The first week of July, I'll be in my office watching film. I love it. I love it. I love it. And then... You know, you're you're in the fifth, sixth round. You're like, all right, let's get this thing over already. <laughs> you know, so it, it's kind of a dichotomy. It's kind of a, an interesting contradiction. But I, I mean, except for Cleveland, Ezra Cleveland, except for Denzel Mims, except for guys like Damon Arnett, uh, I, I I don't think I think overall, considering the situation, what we're dealing with in our nation and worldwide, uh, the lack of uh, pro days and individual workouts, and, you know, the fact that it was a virtual draft. I I think overall, everyone should be very happy and proud. The league, uh, the players, the player agents, 
guys like you and I who focus on this year round and, and are just addicted to the NFL draft and do this year round. I think everybody, you know, people on the internet, everybody did a good job considering the situation in the wider world. Well said, Tony. And, uh, and that's it for the 131st episode of the draft analyst presented by the believe sports podcast network. Do you believe if you're enjoying the show, Please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter. We'd be happy to answer on the show. As alluded to earlier, we'll be back with divisional breakdown shows. So if you're curious about our opinions on how your favorite team did rather than the draft as a whole, we are here for you. Until then, though, on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. We hope everybody enjoyed the sportiest thing that we've seen in over a month and that we'll likely see for months ahead. We'll soon be spending the next several weeks breaking it all down for you. Stay safe out there, everyone.